This morning, I want to invite that you listen very carefully because Satan has been at work very heavily against my having the message that I have this morning. All right? Technical difficulties at home and here. Had stuff where I thought I was about ready with the message, and he said, no, not that one. All right. All right. One of the things I need to do here. <clears throat> now, back in the day, just like Pastor Doug, I used to be a youth pastor. And to pass stuff out, I'd take a handful of stuff and just fling it until everybody get theirs. I won't do that to you. If I could have the ushers come pass these out. Thank you. Thank you. And one of the technical difficulties still in place is, you know, I like that little clicker that I can change my PowerPoint presentation myself. We can't find it this morning, so. <laughs> Just one of. So, so I think Jennifer's going to be back there trying to figure out where I'm at and what I'm saying. <laughs> so far, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mike screen. That's always good. <laughs> we got it up. That's that's right. That's right. This morning I'm going to talk about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And uh, I, I don't know about any of you. Are, are you good at telling the difference between different plants and what they are? You see, I'm not very good at that. I, I, I get a hold of Dave. <laughs> Say, hey, come tell me what my fruit trees are in my backyard. Um, at least when we moved in, I did that. I don't, I don't have to do that anymore. Uh, trees, I'm not very good at telling what they are. Um, but, but telling the difference, it's made a lot easier when you see the fruit hanging on that tree, isn't it? All right, it makes sense. If it's an apple tree, what are you going to see on it? Plums. No. Apples. And because fruit marks what it grows on as being from a distinct family, it lets you know where it's from. It knows you know what's running through it. And it tells you what the tree or the bush really is. And it also tells you something about the purpose of that vegetation. The purpose of that vegetation is to grow fruit. And sometimes I have... <laughs> In, in my life, I've, I've had people look at me and say, hey, you're judging people on this. You're judging people on that. One of the most misused, misinterpreted verses in the New Testament, I think. Matthew 7, 1, do not judge or you will, too will be judged. And, and the reason I think it's misinterpreted is because I, I see that Christ passes a lot of judgment uh, on over people and over situations on lots of occasions. And, and, and ultimately, he's going to sit on the judgment seat. And I am to be Christ-like. So I, I struggle with that whole concept and what's going on there. And, and, you know, I like the answer. I'm not judging. I'm only inspecting fruit. You've heard that before. It comes down to the heart, though. What is your heart in that inspection process? If it's to tear them down, if it's to make you feel better about yourself, it's wrong. If it's to build them up and help them in their walk, it's okay. So check your heart. If you're starting to go, ah, man, I don't like that. I don't, you know, they don't do this and they don't do that, right? They're not very spiritual. Check it at the door. Why are you saying what you're doing? <clears throat> Let me explain a little farther. Turn with me in Galatians 5. You can just kind of camp there on Galatians 5, and we're going to look at 16 through 26 as I go through the message today. <clears throat> uh, this, this letter to the Galatians was written by the Apostle Paul. 
They, they really don't have an exact date to it. It was somewhere between like 50 AD and 70 AD. It was somewhere in that period. Uh, a letter was written primarily to combat the Judaizers. Going to even have trouble saying names today. Who had infiltrated the church at Galatia. And they were trying to bring a, a number of the, the Old Testament ceremonial practices, especially circumcision, circumcision, back in or into the New Testament church. And so Paul is trying to deal with that. He's trying to address those issues. And they also argued that Paul was not a, a genuine apostle. And uh, because they were really seeking to undermine his authority, they were seeking to overthrow and overtake and, and, and become chief cook and bottle washer, which if they really knew what that meant, they wouldn't want the job. But they were trying. And Paul refuted this by, by establishing his apostolic authority and, and substantiating, which that's a fancy word for just saying proving, the gospel that he preached. And before we look at this passage about the fruit of the Spirit, let me state at the beginning that the Paul very deliberately says fruit, singular. He doesn't say fruits. He says fruit. And what that tells us is that we really have no liberty to pick and choose from these qualities and say, yeah, I want that one. Leave me alone with that one. We must be, they must be all evident within us, all of them. All nine of these qualities, all nine of this fruit needs to be evident in us. If we're missing anyone, what is really we can assume from that is either we are not a Christian or we are quenching the spirit. Because these are a fruit of the Spirit. Quenching the Spirit, that just simply means I, I'm not going to listen when the Spirit nudges me on that and says, hey, this is how I want you to treat these people. I believe there are Christians that do that. They just say, you know, on this particular issue, I'm going to quench. I'm going to do what I want to do instead of what the Spirit's telling me to do. Shame on us, but we do that. And the truth is, I don't want either of those true of me. I don't want to be an, a, a non-Christian, an unbeliever, and I also don't want to be guilty of quenching the Spirit. In nature, bearing fruit is not an optional extra, is it? And I know there's times that from external or internal, you may have a fruit tree that says this year I'm giving you nothing. I've got a couple of those trees in my backyard that's, you know, I, I think I may have 10 apricots on a tree right now. I'll see how they last through the summer. <laughs> but the very nature is to produce the fruit. It is the purpose of the tree's life cycle. The tree is the, and, and the fruit is the, the fundamental proof of that inner life. And if we are unsure as to a tree's identity, all will be revealed when it produces fruit. And we, how many of us decorate Christmas trees? Mm -hmm. But we know the decorations are not the actual fruit of that tree, don't we? Those are our decorations. And it really wouldn't make sense to go to the marketplace and say, you know, I'd, I'll, I'll take a dozen apples. I like golden delicious. Go ahead and give me a dozen of those. And, and you take them home and you find whatever trees in your backyard and you start wrapping them up there and say, now I have an apple tree. <laughs> it doesn't work that way, does it? Uh, it doesn't work that way in our spiritual walk either. Today's passage we are studying can be summarized in, in, in two comparative realities. The, the fact of Christian conflict, and that's a fill in the blank if you... The fact of Christian conflict and the way of Christian victory. 
There is a path, there is a way of Christian victory over that conflict that is going on in our lives. And, and this passage shows us both of those. It's a tremendous passage. Galatians 5, 16 through 26. The fact of Christian conflict. Let me read verses 16 and 17. I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The Spirit and the flesh, they're, they're, they're in conflict with each other so that you and I are, are not to do whatever, just whatever we want. Well, wait a minute. I live in this land of the free, home of the brave. I get to do what I want. That's our culture. So this is against the culture that we live in. There's a conflict going on within each and every Christian, a conflict between the spirit and the flesh. And, and Paul says that if we walk by the spirit, we will not gratify, we will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. But what is the flesh? The, the, the flesh is what we are by nature and inheritance. Thank you, Adam and Eve. <laughs> it's our fallen condition. It's, it's our nature. Then verses 19 through 21, Paul goes on. He says, now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Ow! Paul gets to it, doesn't he? Paul, he, he lists out these works of the flesh. And guess what? It's not even an exhaustive list. We can get very creative and we don't even have to be creative. If we just started listing, I don't know how long that piece of paper would have to be to get them all listed. It'd definitely be a long, long list Probably more than all the papers the teachers have to grade every week. <laughs> it's not exhaustive, but these, this list that he has given us, I, I, I find that it, it falls into kind of four broad areas or four broad categories. There's the sexual sins. There's the um, religious sins. There's the social sins. And there's the alcohol-related sins. The sexual, those include adultery, fornication, uncleanness, and lewdness. Now, I think for most of us here, we understand adultery and fornication. It refers to the sexual intercourse between people who are not married to each other, and thus it's unlawful according to the word of God. Unlawful sexual behavior. Uncleanness refers to unnatural sexual relations. Again, according to the word of God in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Lewdness refers to the open contempt for propriety in relationships. This includes inappropriate comments. Am I meddling yet? I hope not. Unwanted gestures, inappropriate, unwanted physical touches. That's what is this talking about. And, and Paul is saying that all sexual offenses, whether in private or in public, natural or unnatural, inside or outside of marriage, must conform to the word of God. Uh, and if you have questions about that, 
<laughs> Any of us pastors will help you figure out where it's at and what it says and where you ought to be. And where it doesn't conform to the word of God, that's a work of the flesh. And let's not be hypocritical here. Let us not bury our heads in the sand and say, you oh, know, that doesn't apply to me. That doesn't apply to us. You know what? It's a battleground for all. And we ignore it at our own eternal demise. So don't ignore it. If you struggle there, fight the fight. Let's look at the religion aspects of, of this conflict. Uh, it, Paul speaks of idolatry. I think that's probably a, a brazen idol worship. It doesn't matter what your idol is, whether it's uh, some pretty little thing here on a stand or, or whether it's money or whether it's... Now I am going to meddle, aren't I? Yeah, I am. Whatever it is that takes your time and energies away from God is an idol. And he also mentions sorcery, and that's the, the tampering or playing with the powers of evil. And again, oh my goodness, the video games and where they have gone, Lord help us. We are in a nation where this is just accepted behavior and it's okay. The social. And, nine, and Paul gives nine examples of the, the causes of breakdown of uh, personal relationships. He, he, he mentions hatred and contentions and jealousies and outbursts of wrath and selfish ambitions and dissensions and heresies and, and envy and murders. And, and, and I believe this is one of the church's biggest areas of, of blindness. Not concerning the murder thing. We don't accept that one very easily. But the rest of these, you know what? I, I've known people who, you know, cause dissension. Uh, I've known people who envied. And these aren't people that just are out there non-believers. These are believers proclaiming Christ. Alcohol-related drunkenness and revelry, revelries. Revelries would be wild partying. So it would include more than alcohol these days, wouldn't it? There's a lot of stuff out there that really gets people messed up. And, and Paul speaks of the danger of drunkenness because the reality is that under the influence of alcohol or all these other things that are included in partying of this day uh, is the list of, the, 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 the list of vices all of a sudden become a whole lot easier to entertain and, and indulge in. Alcohol lowers our defenses. And then Paul adds a very solemn warning. I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. In this warning, he's not speaking of an isolated lapse. You know, oops, I did this. Father, forgive me. But the habitual practice of these works of the flesh. Such habitual practices gives, gives evidence that the, the person that, that's involved here, the person concerned, is, is not of Christ. He's not living by and in the Spirit, but of the flesh, and therefore is excluded from the kingdom of God. Oh, I definitely don't want to get in that line. You see, this is, it's a stark warning and, and one that we, we would be, do really well to heed today. Get out of that line. Let's get to the more fun stuff to talk about. <laughs> Let's go to the way of Christian victory. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, 
long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Ah, the fruit of the Spirit. In contrast to the works of the flesh, which would lead us to exclusion from the kingdom of God, Paul lists the, the fruit of the, the Spirit. And there's, there's nine Christian graces listed which, which cover our attitude to God. There's three of them that cover that attitude to God, love, joy, and peace. There's three of them that deal with our attitudes and actions to others. Long-suffering, kindness, and goodness. And there's three that really are kind of an internal. They're toward ourselves, and that's faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Let's quickly look at each of these. Toward God, love. Paul uses the word agape here for love. And this word's association with God, it really gives the word its distinctive character. Divine love is unmerited, transforming, and unchangeable. Is that the kind of love you exhibit? It's the love which sent Christ to that cross to die for us. And now because the Holy Spirit is living within the believer, this love is to be shown toward other Christians and toward that crazy mixed up world out there that we deal with. Every day. We're also exhorted through scripture to, to love God because he first loved us. We're commanded to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and spirit. Strength. Our, our love is a, is a response to his love towards us. By our love for one another and for the world, the world comes to know if we belong to Christ. Joy. And this is not the same as happiness, that happy, happy, joy, joy thing. <laughs> right? We want to have times of that. But that's not what this is talking about. This is, this is talking about, uh, you see, ha happiness depends upon circumstances. This life circumstance made me happy. Whereas joy does not. Joy is seen in what was once lost spiritually is now found. That's where you find joy. It, it, as in the parable of the lost sheep. Our chief joy should be the joy in God's salvation for ourselves as well as for others. Peace. Our, our deepest peace is peace in Christ. Our deepest restlessness is the broken relationship that we may have with God. He restores peace in our hearts and, and lives by, by saving us from our sins. And this peace with God is expressed in peace of mind and in a very practical peace between all who know and love the Lord Jesus. This peace is to be seen in our homes, between Jew and Gentile, in the church, and indeed in our relationship with all people. Next three can be described as characteristics of a Christian life which are directed towards relationship with other people. Long-suffering patience. Oh, no. <laughs> Spirit, you're going to go there? Yeah, you are. How many times have we said that little saying, teach me patience, but teach it now? <laughs> Where do we see the, this this evidence of the Spirit, where do we see it the least evidenced in your life? In the car? Oh, yeah. <laughs> At home? You can answer that for yourself. You don't need to. I'm not asking for a poll here. 
That's kind of tough, isn't it? Paul is here describing that Christ-like character which does not seek vengeance or difficulties for those who oppose you. We read in the New Testament that, that Jesus had many foes. He had lots of enemies. And, and yet he never retaliated against them. In fact, when he was dying on the cross, when his foes were, were, were sticking those nails through his hands and through his feet, he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Wow. Hmm. You see, this isn't natural for us. This part of the fruit of the Spirit is it's, it's, it's passive in relation to, to other people. It, it means bearing other people's rudeness and unkindness and, and refusing to retaliate and turning the other cheek, just as Christ did. Uh, it's not natural. We want to get even, don't we? That's an internal thing. <laughs> we do not wish for anyone to believe they've got one up on us. Often I meet people who have carried around a grudge for years, just waiting for that opportunity. Just waiting for the opportunity to get even with someone or to put somebody down. Is that you this morning? If it is, know this. God says that that is the opposite of his Holy Spirit's fruit in the life of his believers. It's also being patient with those near and dear to us. I know many a person who has the patience of Job with everyone else they meet in the world. But when it comes to their family, oh my goodness. Patience of fruit to be evident to and with everyone. Kindness. This is, this is not just a, a neutral toleration of... It's, it's, the, it's the progressive benevolence of, of wishing everyone well. The opposite of kindness, I would suggest, is harshness. And harshness in word, thought, and deed towards others. Uh, the, the inbuilt tendency of our sinful nature is to tear one another apart. Kindness is the opposite of that. Luke 6.35 tells us that God is kind to the evil and the unthankful. Mm. And we are called to do the same. Ephesians 4.32 tells us how we as Christians are to live in relation to others. It says, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. And children know <laughs> the people who are kind to them. Children are awesome. They have an awesome kindness meter. And as children of God, we know his kindness towards us. And we therefore are called to mirror that kindness in our lives to others. Goodness. This is the, this is the, the most active toward people of the three that are mentioned here in the fruit of the Spirit. Um, it, it, it turns wishes into actions. It, it takes the initiative in serving other people in concrete and constructive ways. It, it, uh, it acts 10.38 tells us that Jesus went about doing good, expecting nothing in return. Mm-hmm. Let's be honest, it's easier to do good when we know that we're going to be recognized for it <laughs> and rewarded for it. Yeah. It's easier. But that's not what is in mind here. God wants us to do good just as Jesus did good without expecting any return for it. Without wanting any recognition except knowing that we are doing his will. 
this active goodness is not the it's not the busybody who sticks their nose in everyone else's business under the guise of, of helping or as a prayer request. Tell me all the dirty details because I, I want to pray for you. I don't need to know the dirty details. Mm-mm. Not at all. Remember the Apostle Peter? Lord, I will die for you. And what does he do when challenged by a a little servant girl? He denies even knowing Christ. And yet in Acts 5.29, we see Peter refusing to obey the authorities. And when they threaten him for preaching about Jesus, what's changed? The restoration of Christ. The coming of the Holy Spirit. Changed everything in the life of Peter. So faithfulness. I don't know the story of Gray Briars Bobby about the little dog uh, whose devotion and faithfulness to his master meant that for some 14 years after his death, he lay on the top of his master's grave. His love meant that he he wanted to be near his master all the time. He put a statue up to him in Edinburgh in the graveyard, and you can see it today. Well, with this fruit of the Spirit, this faithfulness speaks of that kind of faithfulness. A faithfulness towards God that is unshakable. It speaks of total trust in God's trustworthiness. And this faithfulness is not something which we have in our strength, nor can we manufacture it, nor can we keep it. It's something that comes of the Spirit and develops in the Spirit. The truth is clearly a gift from the Spirit to enable us to be faithful to God, not in the short term, but over the long haul. The the Christian life is is not a a sprint. It's it's more of a, a, a marathon. And we are called to be faithful every day to Jesus. And for some, that will mean even in difficult times to be faithful. Maybe even dangerous situations to be faithful. Faithfulness is the manifestation of our loyalty and faith to and in God. Gentleness, meekness. At the very start, let me say, this is not a weakness, guys, being gentle or meek. Guys struggle with this one. This fruit is evident when we have a teachable spirit, when we have an honest and and realistic estimation of ourselves. Again, let me illustrate this from the life of the disciples. Do you remember the argument between them as as to whom would be the greatest in the kingdom? (laughs) They, at that stage, were all concerned about status and influence, weren't they? Yeah. But in the book of Acts, we no longer find them pursuing positions, but we find them serving one another. The Spirit took over. We find men not worried about status, only service. Serving for their Lord. There's also a teachableness about them, a reasonableness. They, they dedicate themselves to follow in the footsteps of their master, the servant king. I want to be like Jesus. And he served. I want to be like Jesus. He was gentle and meek. And this is, this is then to be manifest in our lives. It's, it's evident by a lack of pride. Put that pride stuff away. By a lack of jockeying for position or status or recognition, it's, it's, it's evidenced by the gentleness that we display towards others because we are uh, aware of our own faults. 
our own failings, our own sins before God. It's the opposite of, of all the selfish ambitions that, again, our world says we ought to have and honors and glorifies. We see it in the life of Jesus, whom Paul says in the letter to the Philippians, humbled himself to death on a cross. He who made the universe God gave up all to come to earth as a little baby. He did not, Paul says, hold on to it, but gave it all up for you and me. We are now called to follow this Jesus, and we claim his name. We are Christians, and therefore the fruit must be as clear in our lives as it was in his. Help us, Lord. Help us. Self-control. This is clearly aimed at our individual behavior. It, it takes clear aim at the breakdown of moral behavior and of excesses in the lives of those who claim to belong to Jesus. Please note in this, this, this point, self-control is not abstinence. It's not just not doing this for the sake of others. Paul nowhere turns abstinence into a virtue. He does com commend the abstinence for the sake of others, but he doesn't turn it into a virtue. And again, we, we can see in New Testament the change in the lives of people when they become Christians. Re remember Zacchaeus, the tax collector? What a dramatic change. Uh, it's also seen in the life of Peter. Do you remember his... Man, he was impetuous. <laughs> he had rough edges. His temper before Pentecost and, and yet after it, we find a man who has poise. Control of his mind, of his mouth. Who has confidence even in the face of hostility. We find a, a, a Peter, a, a man who, who never again raises a sword and lashes out in anger. He has self-control. And if you look in Galatians 5, 19 through 21, we, we don't find self-control evidenced in all that list of, of the conflict of the flesh, do we? <laughs> There's not a bit of self-control in that. We're just going to go do what we want to do. Party down. Peter has self-control. In our world today, we look around us. Do you find self-control in our world? Huh? <laughs> not much. It's more like the verses of 19, and 20, 19 through 21. Any and everything goes. The tragedy of sin is that it brings men and women into slavery. Slavery to those uncontrollable desires. Romans 7, 27, 20, 22, 7.22 tells us that when we receive God's Holy Spirit, then he puts the desire of our hearts to do his will and to keep his commandments. That's what our goal is. That's what our heart is. And this desire brings delight and freedom, not misery and slavery like sin does. Every believer has a battle against the sinful desires in their own lives, and that's a battle that we are going to fight until we die or until the Lord comes. And yet the battle is won. There's victory, people. Amen. Yeah, you guys are kind of a quiet group today, but there's victory. <laughs> oh, every believer has that battle. It's won. And I hear so many people say, I, I could not help myself or everything else, everyone else was doing it or I'm, I'm only human. You know what? Those are the excuses of a sinner. Those are the excuses of a sinner. The saint says, I know there is a battle and I will win it with God's help. The fruit of the Spirit, not an optional extra in the life of a believer, but it is the evidence that the Holy Spirit is in residence and working to make us more like Christ each day. 
But how do we ensure that the fruit of the Spirit is growing in our lives, is evidenced in our lives? Some of these qualities we, we may have a, a natural disposition for. I know people who, before they came to Christ, they were kind people. How do, how do we know? How do we help these things grow? The passage tells us that all are to be in evidence in the life of a spirit-filled believer. Verses 24 through 26, the, 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 the afterword, would you say, for what Paul is, is, is teaching in his letter, it tells us, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Paul says that we are to crucify the flesh. The evil desires. It's not something done to us, but something that we do. It's deliberately putting to death those desires. Mark 8, 34 says, When he had called the people to himself with his disciples alone, he said to them, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Amen. Deny. So metaphorically, we are to nail the very desires and passions of the flesh to the cross. Crucify them. Leave them there. That's the part we have in trouble with. Oh, how many nails I put in the cross with certain sins. <laughs> Later, I'll like, right, well, I'll take that one back. You see, only criminals were condemned to, to die by crucifixion, and, and, and our old nature is to be treated as a criminal. Death by crucifixion was lingering, but it was certain. It was horrific. And when we nail the old nature to the cross by, by coming to faith in Christ, we begin the process of the gradual but certain death of the old nature. That death will be complete in heaven. I look forward to that. <laughs> the conflict will be over. The freedom will be complete. Oh, when a criminal was crucified, he was left to die. But soldiers kept guard to ensure that nobody took him down before he died. We have to leave our old natures on the cross. And we need to have a guard to keep them there. We need to enlist the Spirit. You think He's willing? Uh huh. If we'll listen to Him, we need to have Him guard and keep them and not let them off until they're dead. In verse 18, clear back there at the beginning of our passage, it says that we are led by the Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit takes the initiative, doesn't he? Right? See, for somebody to lead me, they, they have to go forth. So they take the initiative. The Holy Spirit takes the initiative. And in verse 25, Paul says that the positive thing we must do is live in the Spirit, walk in the Spirit. Well, wait a minute, that means I have some action too, doesn't it? Yeah, if I'm going to live in the Spirit, if I'm going to walk in the Spirit, my feet don't move unless I decide they're going to move. Paul uses a word for walk, which speaks of someone who walks in line. Therefore, encouraging believers to follow what is right and what we know to be right. Oh, wait a minute. Where do you find what's right? Uh-huh. This is it. This is what I know to be right. I need to be following this, and so do you. Not picking and choosing, 
This is another one of those all things. The word of God. It's a disciplined walk in the things of God. And just as a a natural tree requires a healthy soil and the right food and careful pruning, a a mixture of rain and sunshine in order to, to bear good fruit, the same is true of our lives. We require good nourishment like prayer and studying the word and fellowship with other godly people. We require careful pruning by God. Sometimes he'll use fellow believers in that process, but sometimes it's straight up him and me. Snip, snip. Wow, that didn't feel good, Lord, but thank you. We require the times of trial and blessing in order that the fruit of the Spirit might be seen in our lives. Because face it, if nothing was ever a trial for us in life, if everything was easy, it'd be easy to love, joy, peace, kindness, patience, faithfulness, self It'd all be easy, wouldn't it? The reason I get all mixed up there is because I memorized them in the wrong order and with a couple words that I'm not using in this message. So sorry about that. To finish... Let me say this once again. Paul said fruit singular. I want you to remember that. This is not a pick and choose list or some or most lists. All of these are to be evident in our lives. Also, we must remember that our, any tree takes time to mature and bear fruit, which, which should tell us that we must give believers time to mature and bear fruit. Oh, wait a minute. That goes back to the whole judging thing, doesn't it? If I don't see the fruit quick enough... takes time. It should tell us that we must give believers that time. However, on one occasion, Christ, and this is really kind of a rough way to end a message. My wife warned me of this. (sighs) Told a parable about a tree which did not bear fruit. And how the farmer gave it one more year to bear fruit. And then he cut it down and cast it into the fire. And as humbly as I can say this this morning, I would suggest that there are some of us here that need to take heed of that warning. Because this morning, you are entering the last year of grace before you're being cast out. I don't want to be there. I don't want you to be there. For others, you need to to, to continue to crucify the flesh and walk in the Spirit. Don't quench it. Walk in it. Amen? Amen. Now, I have asked Jennifer, and hopefully technical difficulties don't keep us away from this. Can you get that YouTube video up there? I'm going to end on a happy, happy. I am. Hopefully. (laughs) I got two of them back there working on it. They'll get to it. Yeah, you got to go through the steps. Takes a little time. That's all right. Yeah. On, on the first notes, yeah. now that my head's over here, i got to go back there. Alcohol-related. Alcohol, drunkenness, and revelries. Alcohol-related. Alcohol-related, yes. That was the fill-in. Oh, yeah. Back it up and full screen that thing. And give us good volume on it, Chris. Ready? Up!
them why. Thank you so much for the word that you placed on Pastor Eric's heart today, God. Thank you so much for bringing conviction where conviction needs to be brought, Father. Thank you so much for your spirit that guides us, that leads us into all truth and the knowledge of it, Father. Lord, as we go into a time of tithes and offerings today, but just before we end, God, I just pray that you would bless the cheerful giver today, God, that you would bless us tenfold um, for what we give back to you, God. And in the act of obedience to what you've asked us to do, God. So we love you, and we trust you, and we thank you so much for everything you've given us and that you even have yet to give us. Lord, we prophesy that in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.